This is Unfilter, episode 320 for July 30th, 2020. Given how far this administration has gone to try to delay or defy oversight, what do you think uh, the Democratic House got out of or learned from Attorney General Barr when he finally showed up today? This is, it's really, he was like a blob. He was like a, uh, just a, a, a henchman for the President of the United States instead of the Attorney General of the United States of America. Hello, friends, and welcome into Unfilter, episode 320. And if you didn't catch 319, it's because I snuck it out on Monday. And I do recommend you catch it before we get into this episode, because we pick up on a few themes I touched on in that episode. But while that was almost entirely, in fact, I think it was entirely focused on the recent protests, this one is more like a traditional unfilter where we have flavors of news of the week. And I think it's probably important that we start with an update on the coronavirus. It is five months into the pandemic and within 100 days of the election. So everything has just a bit more urgency. We are five months into this pandemic. More than 150,000 people have died of the coronavirus in the U.S. And the nation's leading infectious disease doctor is still reminding Americans to get back to the basics. But we do have good news. The uh, Trump briefings are back. And, you know, they're going pretty good. And good evening once again, day 1286 of the Trump administration, leaving 98 days until the presidential election. Well, it took just over a week, but the president has managed to fully revive the mood and feeling of those previous coronavirus briefings. Today sounded more like early to mid-pandemic Trump, declaring much of the country looks pretty good to him and recommending we take hydroxychloroquine. He also lamented Dr. Fauci's popularity compared to his. All of this as Americans remain unwelcome, barred from traveling in most of the world. All of this on the day the U.S. death toll surpassed 150,000. The state of Florida in particular, in fact, set a one-day record of nearly 200 deaths. At the podium today, the president was defending a doctor in a video he retweeted. She claims to have the cure for the coronavirus and says masks are unnecessary. The the recommendations of many other people, including doctors, uh, many doctors think it is extremely successful, the hydroxychloroquine. Uh, coupled with the zinc. I happen to believe in it. I would take it. As you know, I took it for a 14-day period, uh, and uh, I'm here. There was a group of doctors yesterday, a large group, that were put on the Internet, and for some reason the Internet wanted to take them down. (laughs) I like that line there. You know, the the Internet did it. It Yesterday, a large group that were put on the Internet, and for some reason the Internet wanted to take them down and uh, took them off. They're very respected doctors. Uh, there was a, a woman who was spectacular in her statements about it, uh, that she's had tremendous success with it. I realize nobody really vets their tweets, um, but when you're the president, maybe it's worth having a team member vet it before you retweet. MSNBC here is going to go ahead and play a clip of that gal, um, and I'm going to go ahead and let him do it because it's uh, 
it's something for The woman that you said was a great doctor in that video that you retweeted last night said that masks don't work and there is a cure for COVID-19, both of which health experts say is not true. She's also made videos saying that doctors make medicine using DNA from aliens and that they're trying to create a vaccine. I thought she was very impressive. I thought her voice was an important voice, but I know nothing about her. He walks out after this moment. They don't play that. But she keeps going. He tries to call on someone else. And he's done this move once or twice before. Uh, when the other reporter who he's moved on from doesn't stop, he just walks out. Um, but MSNBC really wanted to play you a clip of that gal. Indeed, the doctor has talked about demon sperm, about spontaneous pregnancies and alien DNA. Her name is Stella Emanuel. She's a pediatrician in Houston and a local minister there. She operates a medical clinic in a strip mall next to her church. You get the sense Brian's loving this. He's Brian Wye here is just really enjoying the, this, the optics of this entire situation. Local minister there. She operates a medical clinic in a strip mall next to her church called Firepower Ministries. And here is a sampling. So God decided to destroy the world and start with the seed of Noah. When God destroyed the earth at that time, what happened? What happened to these 30-foot Nephilims that were on walking the earth? Those giants. They got flooded, so their flesh, they could not really die. Because this, you know, son, they got flooded and their flesh got pulverized. But what happened to the spirits? This mixed breed, there are still Nephilims around today. And they still do one thing. They're still lost after human beings. What? <laughs> they lost after human beings? So he really needs to maybe check um, these sources before he goes on and says there's a voice that uh, I thought needed to be heard. I don't know about that. And I don't think she's necessarily an expert, although what do I know? I'm not the president of the United States. And maybe she's really onto something with that coronavirus cure she's got herself. There is, of course... Just the constant reminder that this thing is really, really bad for the U.S. 15 states setting weekly records for cases, nine reaching new highs in deaths. The disease now infected more than 4.1 million people in the U.S. and killed more than 146,000 with more than 59,000 in hospitals. And the reality is that just about... Everyone has taken their opportunity to slam the U.S. for this, if that's their thing. All of the haters have come out of the woodwork and called the U.S. a, a third-rate nation for not being able to control this. We've gotten slammed from people inside and outside the country for the last few weeks. But maybe it's a problem we could all be potentially facing. Anyone in the world who's dealt with the coronavirus may have to deal with future surges or resurges. Vietnam has been viewed as a success story during the COVID-19 pandemic. Through centralized quarantine and strict contact tracing, the country of 95 million people had no deaths from the disease. All right, so Vietnam's, they're, they're the best case scenario over there at Vietnam, right? They're the best case scenario. Zero deaths. Strict contact tracing, the country of 95 million people had no deaths from the disease. That's remarkable. So this is a country that really had this thing on lockdown. <laughs> 
if you'll allow the term. With the borders sealed, the government encouraged travel. But things took a turn for the worse last weekend when the central city of Da Nang was hit by an outbreak, the first cases of local transmission in months. The city was locked down and domestic tourists were sent home just before the airport was shut for two weeks. And now there are cases linked to Da Nang in Vietnam's two largest cities, Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City, and even in the Central Highlands. The prime minister has called on all regions to be on alert. And it's not just in Vietnam. Germany has also seen a potential, quote, second wave of the coronavirus. Fears of a second wave are gripping Europe after successfully flattening the curve. Leaders are scrambling amid spikes throughout the continent. Germany has now followed the UK's lead, advising against travel to Spain. Despite the clear emergence of new outbreaks, Spanish authorities want the UK and Germany to reconsider. At the start of the pandemic, the British government was accused of acting too slowly. Boris Johnson defended the quick decision with Spain and warned Europe could be on the verge of a dreaded second wave. Well, that seems bad. Hmm. wonder if that's Trump's fault, too. <laughs> and along with this is something that reminds me of one of the stories I heard on this recent road trip. Two stories, actually. And I believe what's at the root of these stories isn't some evil conspiracy, but simply what happens when humans rush to do something they are not competent at yet or experienced it doing very well and at scale. You see it happen in technology all the time, but I believe the rush to get testing ramped up has led to mistakes. Um, and I, I didn't really know to sh if I was going to share this story or not, but this clip has kind of convinced me to share a story that I heard on the trip. So I'll play the clip and then I'll tell you that I'll relay the two stories. But the most recent issue, getting back COVID-19 test results that aren't even yours. I get a phone call asking for me, and I said, yes, this is Mindy Clark. And they say, well, we want you to know that your test was positive. And I said, I looked at the phone like, positive for what? And they said, positive for COVID. And I said, there's no way possible. And she said, oh, yes, yeah. she said, you did the test. And I said, no, ma'am. Mindy Clark had gone to the drive through testing site at Manatee Rural Health. But before she was able to get swabs, she left the line because she realized it was for people with symptoms only. So I, I talked said, to someone in Austin who went to go get tested. They were in line in their car. They filled out the form. And then after 45 minutes decided, screw it, I'm leaving. And then they got a letter saying they were positive. Um, and this is a very similar story to what this person's relaying. Because she realized it was for people with symptoms only. And I said, you need to take that off my record. She goes, well, we don't know now. You have to prove to us that you're negative. She tested negative just two days later and also tested negative for the antibodies. And according to many of our viewers, this hasn't only happened to her. Clark says if she and many others have been incorrectly identified as positive in the state system so easily, how accurate are the numbers that are released daily? This is part of the, the, the testing mechanism problem. It's uh, people are sitting in their cars sometimes for hours or standing in line um, six feet apart at least for hours and you're registered. You're number 15 in line right now. That means you are Jay Wolfson. Now, if Jay Wilson says, you know, um, I can't wait any longer and I leave, it will get number 15, who's now 
Rebecca Fernandez, who was standing behind me, as and, and you may test positive, and then everybody, th- th- there has to be a better way. And while all this is happening, the virus continues to spread since the right people are not being identified. It's such a bad time now. This last five months have been so bad, and there's so much depression going on, and there's so much worrying about this, that people don't need, need these added mistakes. They really don't. Everybody's trying so hard. And then these mistakes are really causing more anxiety in people. The the trust issue is real, but the disease is more real. Trust the fact that the disease is real. The data may be confusing. The state has to clean up their act. But the disease is real and very concerning. And if you have gotten back a COVID-19 test result and did not get tested, be sure to reach out to the Florida Department of Health to make sure it gets off of your health record as well as the database. In Sarasota, Rebecca Fernandez, ABC7, your Suncoast News. See, I think the rush to test is its what's needed to get a handle on this thing, but at the same time fraught with mistakes. So a second conversation I had, so I had, I had a conversation with somebody who I was working near in Austin, in the same building, and uh, they relayed a story very similar to the one in that clip. But the second story that I've really paused to tell, to share with you, because it's just, it's I can't substantiate it, I didn't record it, but I was at a pizza place in Bozeman, Montana, eating dinner with my family, and the topic of mass was being discussed at the table, and an individual who was a gentleman who was sitting at the booth next to us. We were at a table at the, in the middle, and the booths are going along to the side of us, so he's, he's to my left. And he says, you know, I have thoughts on that. And it turns out, of course, he starts chatting us up. And he's a doctor, and he was going in to advocate against the use of mass, because this was a big hot topic back then that they were debating if they should implement some sort of policy, and they ended up doing that. But he wanted to argue against it, and that surprised me. And so I had to ask him, what's up with that? And he told me, this is his word, but now it's my word, I suppose, but I'm just relaying the story to you to, to just sort of underscore this conversation, that he had 25 COVID-19 tests. He opened them up, put them in the tubes to send them back, and... All 25 of them were never used. They never touched a human being. They just were taken out of the packaging and put in the container to send back. He sent them back, and a few days later, he got a letter back saying 15 of the 25 were positive. They'd never swabbed a single human being, he said. Now, to him, it was some big conspiracy. To me, it sounded like incompetency. And just could you imagine the scale of the problem these testing operations must have? All of these results coming in. And then you have problems where data isn't accurately tracked at the site of testing, like in the example where someone leaves line, and now someone in that line's probably positive, but it gets assigned to the wrong person. So then they get a report saying that maybe they don't have it. And so they go along their way spreading it. It's it's a it's a real problem, and it, it you wonder if it's involved at all with the case numbers. So I want to get to that. I want to talk about the numbers here in a moment. But first, I want to remind you about a change that was made recently. Do you remember a change the administration made 
to send the data instead of from the hospitals to the CDC, that instead it would be sent to, um, it's like the HHS or something, play it in the clip here in a second, but it gets sent to an administration cho- uh, chosen third party, and then they would be sharing the data with CDC amongst others. At the time, my position on this was, let's wait and see. I don't really have a lot of faith in the CDC as an overall data organization, and I played the clips to explain why. But I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in the administration making a choice here that isn't going to benefit them. So I want to follow up on that because Jeff Hester on YouTube took a look at the data now that it's being collected by a different agency. And the entire video is linked in the show notes. I think it's under a half hour, so it might be worth your time. But I did try to grab the choice clip from it. it sort of summarizes his findings. So Jeff looked at this data, and when he charts it, it is clear... It is clear as day that the case rates begin to dramatically flatten the day that the new organization took over. That's number one. But number two, when Jeff looks at the data, what he clearly sees here, and again, the entire thing's linked in the show notes at unfilter.show slash 320. When he looks at it, it's clearly only changing in the red states. So he divided the data up by blue states and red states, Republican and Democrat. The Democrat states the data is continuing on the same exact trajectory that it was when the CDC collected it. But in the Republican states, there's been a dramatic drop off since the new organization took over. So the facts and these are these are just facts, just the facts. There was a sharp downward turn in reported cases. There was really nothing to explain such an abrupt widespread change in terms of things that would make you think the case rate would really fall. Um, It only happened to states that voted for Trump, whereas the states that voted for Clinton, their reported numbers of cases just kept going. Uh, so that now it, it looks like, oh, look at that. The red states are coming down and the blue states are still rising. If you just look at the reported cases. And all of this happened on exactly the day that the data were taken away from the CDC and given to a partisan HHS. It is possible that the CDC was manipulating the data to be more aggressive. And the HHS is using some other way to visualize that data that is less aggressive. And they may be more accurate. That is possible. But that kind of falls apart when when you look at it and you see that it clearly falls down on red states versus blue states. And it's it's universal. And that to me seems to be a big red flag to indicate that this is going to be data that is manipulated even more so than it might have been before. And I wanted to follow up on that because I kind of at first was kind of pause. I would say neutral to positive on taking it away from the CDC because of their past issues. But after this report, I, 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 I don't think it's a good thing. Um, I am willing to entertain the idea that it's because it's more accurate now, but they maybe could say something and make that case because right now it's just trending down and nobody's saying anything, (laughs) which is also kind of odd. It's just like, hush, hush. And then you think maybe it'll just be brought up in a few weeks. Oh, look at it. It's going down. I don't know where it goes, but I'll keep an eye on it because I think it's, I think it's pretty fascinating. So let's talk about the other angle of the coronavirus and that's the vaccine 
hearing a lot of positive things, but one thing we're not hearing a lot about is the cost, which might not be as cheap as we like. Uh, CNBC had the former FDA chief on to try to get some sense of what the cost might be, but the whole conversation's really awkward, and the reporter doesn't just directly ask, but we got enough. Hey, Scott, I, I hesitate to ask you about this Moderna story just because um, the, the price point for Moderna's vaccine, at least the early look at it, looks like it's going to be higher than for Pfizer and for uh, another company that's already gotten it out there. You are on the board at Pfizer. But just from a public policy perspective, just in terms of pricing, I mean, personally, I look at it and think, let's just get a, a vaccine before we worry about how much it costs or start fighting over some of these things. But what do you think of, of the issues that have been raised on this? So she doesn't even really ask the question, but what she's asking is, what can we expect the price of what looks like to be the most promising vaccine or one of the most promising vaccines? What can we expect that price to be? Well, look, I'll I'll make a sort of general point about the pricing, not relative to any specific company. I think, you know, if these things end up getting priced around the price of a flu vaccine, which the Pfizer price was in that neighborhood of, of how flu vaccine gets priced for the whole the whole course of the covid vaccine versus the cost of a flu vaccine. You know, I think that that's a price that's going to allow in the long run a sufficient margin and some profit that can get reinvested back into manufacturing and back into a next generation vaccine. So what is that price? Um, I went and looked it up because he doesn't just say it. Of course, they have to be vague. And it looks like it ranges <laughs> depending on region. I got a couple of links in the notes. Um, and so there's not one answer, um, but it, it seems to be a range from $50 to $85 per vaccine um and uh it looks like you know usually there's some some form of co-payment or something in the states but so somewhere in that range per vaccination now you gotta have manufacturing right well something that was strange and odd it kind of made my eyebrow go up and go huh was the announcement that kodak kodak had been awarded $765 million loan from the government to produce ingredients for uh, corona drugs. And and actually, it sounds like others as well. But what's really disingenuous about this news is everyone's reporting like Kodak, you know, (laughs) the film company who takes pictures anymore, right? (laughs) And that's ridiculous. First of all, Kodak went deep into the digital camera line and mini printer line and lots of other areas of business, Kodak has also had really strange historical relationships with the United States government, including programs that even involved Kodak having nuclear reactors. It's really fascinating history. It might just be on Wikipedia. It'd be kind of an interesting Google. But anyways, this company that's been known for a lot of things, but predominantly film cameras, is now going to produce drugs And I guess we're supposed to believe, and I'm not kidding you, maybe it's true, that the core ingredients needed to make photography film are similar to that to make drugs. Eastman Kodak winning a $765 million government loan under the Defense Production Act that will support the launch of Kodak Pharmaceuticals. Joining us now, Adam Bowler is the CEO so this, this, just soak this in for a moment, this story here. This is a bizarre one, you guys. This is the White House invoking the, the Defense Production Act to work with a company called International Development Finance Corporation 
which will sign a letter of interest to provide $760 million to Kodak. That loan is supposed to support the launch of a pharmaceutical branch of Kodak, which is the first investment of this development finance corporation ever, is, is this one. And they're getting money and giving it to Kodak to, 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 to build a pharmaceutical arm. And the CEO, uh, this guy, Adam Bowler, or whatever his name is, he comes on this Squawk Box CB, CBN, CNBC show, easy for me to say, to talk about it. The whole thing is, is really something. So the White House works with this company who then works with Kodak, and it's all being kind of pushed through as the Defense Production Act, and it's all touted as a really we'll great support thing. support the launch of Kodak Pharmaceuticals. Join us now, Adam Bowler is the CEO of the International Development Finance Corporation. Uh, Adam, I, you know, when, when, in, in looking at this, the beauty of, of the whole idea uh, just sort of is, is apparent, but I didn't understand it initially. So you got Kodak put out, not put out of business, but who's using film uh, with these cam, right? With these smartphones now. So they got this huge manufacturing f- footprint, 1,200 acres, 16 million square feet of manufacturing, 88 manufacturing reactors, a wastewater treatment facility. They're ready to go. I mean, some of that sounds really good. Like they could have sold those assets and uh, everybody could have walked away with a nice paycheck. With, with specialty chemicals, which aren't th- for film, which aren't that different than the key starting materials, KSMs, that we get from China for pharmaceuticals. So he's throwing acronyms at you, the KSMs, the key starting materials. They're claiming are very similar between photography and drug making. Oh, with, with specialty chemicals, which aren't, th- for film, which aren't that different than the key starting materials, KSMs, that we get from China for pharmaceuticals. Do it here. Bring it back here. And that's what this is about. You got it. That's exactly what it's about. So we did, and so about two months ago, I was in uh, Air Force One with the president. This is that Adam Bowler guy who is the CEO of the International Development Finance Corporation who's actually the one loaning the money to Cody. He signed an executive order to allow my agency, DFC, to invest in the United States. It's not an agency. It's a company. And it's to invest in the United States to reshore critical industries, um, things that we need uh, if there's ever going to be another pandemic so that we're not caught in the same place. Um, And so one of those areas that was clear to us is the pharmaceutical supply chain. And if you look at drugs, 90 percent of the drugs that we take today are generics, uh, and they are almost all made overseas. So this guy rides on Air Force One, talks Trump into using the Defense Production Act for this. And now here we go. Kodak switching from film to drugs. Hell of a thing, isn't it? I don't really... Uh, that's, I'd like to know your thoughts on it. Let me know. Unfilter.show slash Discord. And as all of these things truly are all about Trump, we have to understand why people just don't like Trump as much as they like Fauci. It just doesn't make sense. Sort of is curious... A man works for us, with us, very closely, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, also highly thought of. And yet, they're highly thought of, but nobody likes me. It can only be my personality. <laughs> Remember how I said Trump makes everything about himself, even a pandemic, everything? But there is almost a hint of self-reflection in this, like the weight of the office and the constant criticism has actually made a man like Trump possibly consider something about himself. 
But then he sort of rambles on and continues and doesn't seem to really have any peace with it. He's working with our administration. And for the most part, we've done pretty much what he and others, Dr. Burks and others who are terrific, recommended. And he's got this high approval rating. So why don't I have a high approval rating with respect and the administration with respect to the virus? I do whine because I want to win. Hmm. How did I know that clip was going to come in handy a few years later? All right. How about a little showception? Let's just take this moment right here to thank patreon.com slash unfiltered supporters. You guys have made this show possible. And it's one of the reasons why since I've been back, I'm cranking out two episodes this week because there's so much going on. And this show is powered by the patrons and you're my bosses. You're who I report to. And so when I know there's a lot going on, I, I don't need to be told to get into the studio and record something. I want to do it. And so thank you, patreon.com slash unfilter. If you've considered supporting this show or if you're enjoying it and want to up your support, that would be amazing. This right now is a minimum viable podcast. It's me in a microphone sitting in my RV. There's no company behind me. There's no team. It's just me and you. And I appreciate the support at patreon.com slash unfilter. Also, just a mention for the contact page at unfilter.show slash contact where you can get a hold of me. All right, let's get it back going again. That's all I had for you. Not a big deal. Snitches get rewards. We want to thank you for turning folks in and making sure we are all safe. So Attorney General Barr is going to finally testify before Congress after failing to show up over and over again. A much-hyped testimony. Now to Attorney General William Barr, who is expected to have a confrontational appearance this morning when he testifies before the House Judiciary Committee for the first time as a member of the Trump administration. According to the opening statement released yesterday, Barr plans to defend the use of militarized federal police to quell protesters in Portland, saying what unfolds nightly around the courthouse cannot reasonably be called a protest. It is by any objective measure an assault on the government of the United States. So this hearing starts and it kind of becomes clear immediately what the goals are here. The left lines up behind discrediting Barr, and I'll get to why here in a moment, but that's their primary focus is discrediting Barr, and the right lines up and gets behind defending Trump vis-a-vis Barr. The president wants footage for his campaign ads, and you appear to be serving it up to him as ordered. In most of these cities, the protests had begun to wind down before you marched in and confronted the protesters. I think we pretty well debunked that last episode and the protesters aren't mobs they are mothers and veterans and mayors nadler is so full of shit yeah there's some of those <laughs> yeah there's there's some of those for sure there's also a lot of other types in there but it's such bs rhode island's representative picked up on the whole footage meme thing too about you're all just trying to get clips for the ad campaign videos we fought for a democracy, for the right to speak freely, and you are attempting to take that away. And what's worse, you're doing it for the sole purpose of furthering the president's political agenda and generating footage for Trump campaign commercials. You're not going to believe it, but what this is actually about 
is good old Russiagate. I'll get to why in a moment, but that's what this is. This is a preemptive political maneuver because they know what's coming down the pipeline. And this is a preemptive political maneuver to discredit the attorney general. Is he a puppet for Trump? Is he essentially Trump's personal lawyer? Of course. Those criticisms are true. So is Eric Holder, right? This is the way it's been now for a while. Eric Holder and Obama were tight. They were buds. They played basketball together. They went way back. They still are tight. They still hang out. It it just wasn't an issue, <laughs> apparently. But you see, now all of a sudden, even though they all know this is how it's worked now for many, many administrations, now all of a sudden that's an issue. Yeah, As it should be, as it should be, but they haven't cared for the last 30 years. Barr, he argues it's essentially my job to defend federal property at this scale. Down a federal court. Is that okay? Is that okay now? No, the U.S. Marshals have a duty to stop that and defend the courthouse, and that's what we are doing in Portland. We are at the courthouse defending the courthouse. We're not out looking for trouble. Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. I mean, they might have been going driving around picking up people in vans, but, you know, we kind of stopped doing that. So what's the big deal, guys? What's, what's the big deal? It's just creating a secret federal police that kidnaps people without due process. That's fine. That's fine. We're not doing it now, so what's the big deal? Now, my uh, local uh, Washington representative, uh, Gia Paul, boy, she really hates it when you don't get her name right. But Gia Paul, she starts to lose her temper with Barr when they get into the protest. And this is an area where I felt like pretty fair game. Let's get these questions answered. Well, I don't accept your characterization of what happened. But as I explained, the effort there was... Uh, Mr. Barr, I just asked for a yes or no. So let me just tell you, I'm starting to lose my temper. According to sworn testimony before the House Natural Resources Committee by Army National Guard Officer Adam DeMarco, who was there, this was, quote, an unprovoked escalation and excessive use of force against peaceful protesters. Well, I don't Numerous remember, media I don't remember reports DeMarco as being a... I Mr. Barr, excuse me, this is my time. Sir, sir, the president told governors on a telephone call that the way to deal with the protesters of police brutality and systemic racism like in Lafayette Square is that, quote, you have to get much tougher. You have to dominate. If you don't dominate, you're wasting your time. These are terrorists. And he also talked about you on that call, sir. Here's what he said. He said, the attorney general is here, Bill Barr, and we will activate Bill Barr and activate him strongly. Do you remember that call, Mr. Barr? Yes, I do. But he wasn't talking about protesters. He was talking Mr. about Barr, rioters. Mr. Barr, apparently the president believes that you can be activated to implement the president's agenda and dominate American people exercising First Amendment rights if they're protesting against him. But let's look at how you respond when the protesters are supporters of the president. And she makes a couple of cases where they didn't use tear gas uh, and pepper spray to break up protests that you would probably describe as right wing. This is a very good tactic. And the tactic here is the strategy, I guess you could call it, is to show that Barr is a political stooge of Trump, to discredit him in that regard because 
The core problem is, soon before the election, a big report on the origin of the Russia probe will come out. And the Democrats will make the case that it is improper to be released before the election because it could affect the election. Barr has already preemptively argued that it should be released before the election. So now they need to establish the case that Barr is a pawn of Trump, that he's one of his henchmen, one of his stooges. Barr insisted that the upcoming presidential election will not delay U.S. Attorney John Durham's highly anticipated review of the origins of the Russia probe. Watch. Under oath, do you commit to not releasing any report by Mr. Durham before the November election? No. You don't commit to that? No. So you won't go by Department of Justice policy that that you won't interfere in any political investigations before the November election? We're we're not going to interfere. In fact, I've made it clear I'm not going to tolerate it. But under oath, you're saying... That's about about as good as it gets. Um, There's a lot of over-talk, and they they cut him off a lot when he was answering. But it it is what they are concerned about. Is this is this release. And so we have to discredit the Attorney General of the United States for political purposes. Here's that representative from the great state of Washington, Gia Paul, on CNN just moments after this hearing. I just thought he was despicable and just... (laughs) Oh, actually, that's Nancy. But actually, she makes this point, too. I mean, this is... Listen to the talking points I just thought he was despicable and just so beneath the dignity of an attorney general. He was like a blob. He was like a uh, just a a, a henchman for the president of the United States instead of the attorney general. There's that henchman meme. Now, here is this is Gia Paul from Washington moments after the hearing. This is a slightly longer clip. The single thing that emerges time after time after time is that Bill Barr has always been, is now, and will always be the henchman for Donald Trump. He acts as Donald Trump's personal attorney to get things done. Donald Trump activates him when he needs something done, and Bill Barr jumps. Um, He is not the attorney general for the people of the United States. And what he's doing is using the Justice Department, the enormous powers of the Justice Department, on every level, whether it is going back to, you know, withholding uh, information from the Mueller report and mischaracterizing it, or whether it is in terms of the way he responds to certain protests, he is responding completely without regard to... You notice the two examples she gives, Russia report... And protests. Those are the two examples. Whether it is in terms of the way he responds to certain protests, he is responding completely without regard to equal justice under the law. So we have to position him as partisan, which he is. So it's not a hard case for them to make. And they can discredit his, they can claim political motivation when the report comes out. Uh, Barr was actually scheduled to come back for a second day, but seems to have changed his mind. Barr was supposed to face more questions tomorrow from lawmakers led by Democrats in the House of Representatives. Tonight, with word that session would now also include questioning from lawyers, Barr pulled out. But I think maybe the lawyers have something to do with it. Like lawyers aren't sitting in there all the time already. Uh, Half of them aren't lawyers to begin with. Give me a break. But... I think it might have been just how rather abusive the entire scene was. I mean, I pulled for you the best bits, 
The rest was a hot mess. It wasn't reclaiming my time. In April, times is when does something actually become custom. reclaiming my time? I'm psyched. This is not a trick question in this country. And I'm reclaiming my time, Mr. General. Just about every time he starts to answer. Without any remedy at all. I'm reclaiming my time. Let me share with you. Well, you got to let him answer. Reclaiming my time. You reclaiming my time, sir. Reclaiming my time. But he found reclaiming no my time without political bias. He said he and found in no April, evidence. Reclaiming my time, Mr. Turner. In Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time, Mr. Barr. Current substances. Attorney General, reclaiming my time. There are rules by which we operate here. I would ask you to respect them. It went like on and on and on. There's there's another 30 seconds to that clip. I'm sparing you because I think you get the idea. So let's move on to the other big hearing that was going on earlier today as I record that. uh, This. This show. That show. And that is the big tech giants... Zuckerberg, Sindar Pichai from Google, Tim Cook from Apple, and Jeff Bezos from Amazon were testifying to Congress on their domination of the industry. Happening right now today on Capitol Hill, four of the most powerful men in the U.S. tech industry are being questioned on whether their platforms have violated antitrust laws in recent years as they've risen to dominate the industry and the marketplace. They'd obviously been coached on tricks to just waste time. And right off the bat, one of the obvious ones was they would heap praise on the question. That's a great question. I'm really glad you brought that up. I was hoping to have an opportunity to address that question because I believe strongly in X. And X is something I've been hoping I'd have a chance to talk about today. So thank you for that. And with that said, and then they would get, so they would burn a lot of time, and there's very limited time to answer these questions. So eventually, the chairman caught on. The gentleman has expired. I just want to uh, remind the witnesses we appreciate the gratitude for the questions and your uh, description of them as good questions. But um, we'll just assume that they're good questions, and they're uh, and you're happy to answer them, so we can make sure we're making good use of your time. And with that, I recognize the gentleman from Florida. <laughs> it's just hilarious to have to tell them to stop saying thank you. And they didn't fully. They definitely short them down, but they would still say, thank you for the question. And this hearing was just, it was so all over the place. It, it, it went from weird, different, almost tech-supported time to strange fringe issues to serious questions about data collection and how Amazon or Facebook was using data collection to go after third parties in what did sound like monopolistic behaviors because this, this team had four years to prep for this hearing. They spent four years investigating this stuff. So they got a lot of quotes and um, got a lot of case studies from small businesses that have struggled because of the actions of Amazon. Or they looked deeply into the acquisition of Instagram and pulled out emails where Facebook was building a competitor and uh, of Instagram and taunting Instagram with that during the acquisition process. But there was also times where it swayed into territory that just felt so 2020. And that was listening to Jeff Bezos talk about diapers. Well, I don't agree with great respect. I don't agree with the premise. Uh, At the same time, you should recognize in context, diapers is a very large uh, product category sold in many, many places. Jeff Bezos defending that they don't have a diaper monopoly was maybe the highlight. One of the interesting moments was when Representative Jordan tried to get 
Google's Sun- Sundar Pichai to admit that they had sort of stacked the cards for Hillary at some of the Google services in 2016 and tried to get him to commit to not doing it in 2020. This is a simple question. Can you today assure Americans you will not tailor your features in any way to help, specifically help one candidate over other? And this, this what I'm concerned about is you're helping Joe Biden over President Trump. We, we won't do any work, uh, you know, it, to politically tilt anything one way or the other. It's against our core values. But, but, but you did it in 2016. There's an email in 2016 that was widely circulated amongst the executives at your company that got public where Ms. Ileana Marillo, head of your multicultural marketing, talks about the silent donation Google made to the Clinton campaign and you applauded her work. She, she points that out in the email. I'm just curious, if you did it in 16, I want to make, in, you know, in spite of the fact you did it in 16, President Trump won, I just want to make sure you're not going to do it again in 2020. Uh, Congressman, I, I recall our conversation that, uh, at that time, and I appreciate your concern. We didn't find any evidence uh, of such activity. And I took the opportunity after our conversation to reinforce uh, to the company, we realized even an appearance could be improper. So we have clearly communicated to our employees any personal political activity, while that's their right, needs to happen on their own time and resources and should avoid any use of well, company. Of course, everyone's got their First Amendment rights to campaign for who they want. What they can't do is configure your features to help one candidate over the other. So you might have not have found any evidence, but here's what she wrote to the email to a number of key executives in your company. Quote, we push to get out the Latino vote with our features. Second quote, we push to get out the Latino vote with our features in key states. Seems to me those last three words are the real qualifier here. That's electioneering when you're trying to increase the Latino vote in key, in key states. And she'd already communicated that she was supporting Clinton, that she wanted Clinton to win. So when she talks about increasing the Latino vote, which she assumed was going to help candidate Clinton, and she's doing that in key states. It's one thing if you're going to increase the Latino vote around the country. If you're just a good corporate citizen, you're urging people to vote. It's quite another when you're focusing on in key states. And you know what those key states were? Nevada and Florida, the swing states. So again, I want to make sure this isn't going to happen in 2020. I can assure you that uh, we complied with laws in 2016. Uh, as a company, any work we do around elections, uh, is nonpartisan. Uh, users do come to us for understanding where polling places are, where to vote, which is the date to vote, what the voting hours are. We are committed to providing that information. He never really gets to a, a satisfactory answer from Mr. Jordan. But when Mr. Jordan's wrapping up and his time is out, there is a a heck of a moment that really shows everyone's cards. They all put their cards on the table. And this is why your Unfiltered show watches these live and then clips them for you because this kind of stuff doesn't usually get covered. It's a bit of a freakout moment. You have my commitment. Uh, it's always been true, and we'll continue to uh, conduct ourselves uh, in a neutral way. Appreciate it. You're back. The chair now recognizes the gentlelady from Pennsylvania, Ms. Scanlon. Thank you, gentlemen. I'd like to uh, redirect your attention to antitrust law rather than fringe conspiracy theories. Uh, Mr. Bezos, our investigation... Mr. Chairman, uh, we have the email. There is no... Excuse me. It's not your time. Jordan, you do not have the time. Please be respectful of your colleague. She controls the time. 
directly. Put your mask on. Someone, Put your mask on. Mr. Jordan. Mr. Raskin. Mr. Jordan. You, you want to talk do, about masks. Mr. Jordan. Ms. Scanlon. Why would the Deputy Secretary the of Treasury unmask Mr. Michael Flynn's Mr. name, Mr. Raskin? <laughs> Where is this going? Isn't this something? When they get to the mask thing, because if you're not wearing the mask, the mask, I think the sergeant at arms can actually remove you. But the whole thing is just nutty. And then Mr. Jordan starts going into the unmasking of Flynn, which really kind of puts his cards on the table. Everybody's playing their there role. There is no free speech. It's not your time. Mr. Jordan, you do not have the time. Be, please but, be respectful but, but of your colleague. Someone- think about... Think about the fact that this is happening in front of the CEO of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. These billionaires are sitting there watching these morons squabble over process and political showmanship. Oh, excuse me. It's not your time. Mr. Jordan, you do not have the time. Be, please but, be respectful but, but of your colleague. Someone directly she controls directly, the time. Directly. Put your mask on. Someone, Put your mask on. Mr. Jordan. Mr. Raskin. Mr. Jordan. You want to talk do, about masks. Mr. Jordan. Ms. Why Scanlon. The, why would the Deputy Secretary the of Treasury unmask Mr. Michael Flynn's Mr. name, Mr. Raskin? And what I want to know Mr. is Scanlon, when someone comes after my motives for asking questions, I get a chance to respond. The gentlelady is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. No, 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 no. Hey. So it was a pretty good hearing. This is pretty good. Um, pretty good. They didn't really get the CEOs to admit anything that they could use in a future trial. So it was pretty good. Went pretty well. All of this is really uh, optics now because the election's near. It really is. It's so much of this comes down to the election stuff. So let's check in on the election because I think it's we haven't done it for a few episodes. It's it's worth uh, taking the temperature and something I've noticed, I've seen it discussed earlier today in our Discord too, is people are starting to get a little worried that when the election happens, that Trump will refuse to leave office in January. And they're worried that not only is Trump going to refuse, but maybe his supporters will too. So it's it started a few months ago, but it's starting to really kind of grow into a bit of a concern that people are actively discussing. We should not really be shocked by Donald Trump's admission in an interview with Chris Wallace that he might not accept the results of the November election. After all, he said that before the 2016 election as well. But the situation now is far more dangerous. For months, Trump has been unleashing forces that come November could cause tens of millions of Americans to be convinced that the election was rigged. So even if Trump leaves office in January, voluntarily or not, he will leave behind a political climate that could verge on civil war. Trump is an avid fan of conspiracy theories to begin. His political rise started with one, the notion that Barack Obama was born in Kenya. He has embraced the most noxious peddler of falsehoods, Alex Jones. Trump and his associates have been stoking the QAnon movement, which imagines a battle between the president and a deep state of high-ranking officials and liberal elites who practice child torture and satanic worship. Yes, check it out. <laughs> I can't believe Farid's telling you to check out QAnon. They're concerned all these conspiracy theories will come together with Trump and keep him in office. Oh, my God, what if we vote him out and he doesn't leave? You know, my entire life, every single election, this has come up. People were telling me last election that Obama wasn't going to leave office. Before that, I remember clearly people saying Bush wouldn't leave office. Bush Jr. 
I remember that clear as day. So it just seems to be like the other, whatever side isn't in office just can't help but freak out about this possibility. Uh, it's It even came up in Barr's uh, hearing. He didn't really give a very good answer either, so it probably didn't make them feel any better. But Joe Biden's out and he's taking swings. He's given speeches. I'm Joe Biden going after the president today and his handling of the pandemic. The former vice president was then asked, has he been tested for the virus? Here's Mary Bruce. As President Trump spreads misinformation on the pandemic. Joe- wow. Wow. Totally unrelated to this report. Not really connected at all. They just sort of whipsaw it in there. They just state it and they move right on. It's Mary Bruce. As President Trump spreads misinformation on the pandemic, Joe Biden today said the country can't fight the virus if they can't trust the president. People are losing faith in what the president says. And if a president repeatedly says things to you that are not true, and then there comes a time when they say, I have something that I think can cure you, but it could really hurt you. You're not going to listen to the guy who says been lying to you. As coronavirus cases soar, Biden says it didn't have to be this way. So we asked, what would he be doing differently? Are there specific states right now that you think should halt their reopenings and roll things back? And if so, which states? The president has given us a false choice. He said that we have to get back to work and also deal with COVID. You can't get this country going again. Unless you get COVID under control. I don't really understand this answer. Is he suggesting that we should have an indefinite lockdown until the vaccine's out? Is he suggesting that... What is he suggesting here with this? I can't get this country going again unless you get COVID under control. What you need is rapid testing, which we talked about two episodes ago and was covered on This Week in Virology 640. You need rapid, daily, cheap testing. You just test yourself before you go in, you test yourself before you go to school, you test yourself as needed, and if you test positive, you stay home and you inform, you inform a medical official. That's really what we need here. And this he, he, he slams Trump for giving us a false choice, but then he just proceeds to set up another false dichotomy, which also <laughs> isn't really an you answer. You can't get this country going again unless you get COVID under control. And so he has been really late in the game. And to be clear, have you been tested yet? No, I have not. Biden says Trump is looking to change the subject by sending federal agents into the Portland protests. Now, isn't this interesting? This is a talking point that a bunch of others in the media and Pelosi have suggested. And it's the talking point of the Biden campaign, too. As Trump is looking to change the subject by sending federal agents into the Portland protests. This isn't about law and order. It's about a political strategy to revive a failing campaign. Every instinct Trump has is that fuel to the fire. The former vice president today laying out his plan to fight racial economic inequality. In good times, communities of color still lag. In bad times, they get hit first and the hardest. And in recovery, they take the longest to bounce back. This is about justice. And he had an announcement about a big announcement, saying he'll make public his choice for vice president next week. They had to wheel him off and recharge his batteries, though, first. (sighs) 
<laughs> yeah. There's um, there's so much in that. I I don't really see it. I don't I don't see what people see in Biden, but he seems to be doing well in the polls. And the interesting thing about the poll data, because they were obviously wrong in 2016. However, the percentage they were wrong by, Biden has well exceeded that by about uh, eight points, I think, as I record this episode. So he's exceeded the margin of error that seemed to be in the 2016 polls that said Hillary was winning. So even if you factor that they were wrong by two to four percent, he's still ahead by eight to four points, even in that situation. Um, It's getting close and the rhetoric's getting up there. We'll have a VP pick soon. We're also very soon going to have some kind of updated corona relief package. Should be by the end of this week as I'm recording it. But the details of what that will be and what it means for the unemployment extension and that stuff is totally unclear at this point. So I'll keep my eyes up for that and uh, figure out how many more trillions we're putting on the old credit card. But I want to play a moment for you before we get out of here where Nancy Pelosi thought that she'd go be like the Portland mayor and get in the crowd. You know, it's just that the optics can be great. You know, you really look good when you're out there in the crowd. You're talking to the people. Problem is, it didn't go very well. And then Nancy got angry. Hey. So the protesters around her, the crowd, they start chanting. Nancy yells, hey. Democrats deport. We are not alone in this fight. So then Pelosi chimes up. Okay, you've asked some questions. Okay, you've asked some. You've asked some questions. You've asked some questions. Okay, okay. I totally agree with you. But as we fight the fight for the dreamers, which is our. The protesters start shouting. We are not dreaming. All yeah, 11 million. I got it. I got it. I got it. As we fight the fight. As a- she's starting to tremble pretty significantly at this point, which I've never really seen her do, but she's she's definitely trembling. As we fight the fight. As a- you don't. You, it's clear. It's clear you don't want any answers. Just stop it now. Just stop it now. Just stop it now. Let's stop it now. Stop it. Look, I want to tell you something. You can... You can... Yes or no? Why do we do this? Since, since you don't want to listen, since you don't want to listen, we'll have to just go. And then she gets the hell out of there. <laughs> Didn't really go very well. Uh, also, no mask. Just mentioning that. No, no mask. Now, you guys know me. I like to end it when I can with some space nerdery. And there's some real space nerdery about to go down later this week. Wait a minute. Is it a release day, I think? I think it's the day the unfil- this unfiltered, the day 320 came out. We're launching a big shiny robot to Mars. It'll take more than six months to get there, but NASA's next generation of Mars rovers 
This one named Perseverance is like a rover on steroids. Self-driving and mapping, equipped with microphones so humans can listen to the Martian surface, 19 cameras, then radar, spectrometers, sensors, and probes, and drills to collect soil and rock samples that a future mission will pick up. But the coolest feature of all, a miniature helicopter named Ingenuity attached to the belly of the rover. The first aircraft ever to take off and land on another planet for aerial surveys. Mimi Ong is the helicopter project manager. Did you have to ask the Martians for a pilot's license and Martian air traffic control? <laughs> oh, I think they'll welcome us. It should be an exciting event on Mars. <laughs> the challenge, the thin Martian atmosphere is only 1% of our atmosphere. So engineers built a chopper weighing just four pounds with two rotors spinning eight times faster than a helicopter on Earth. It will fly autonomously just 15 feet off the ground. Today, there are simply places that we can't get to today uh, with just rovers nor even, you know, humans, uh, you know, size of steep cliffs or, you know, uh, steep uh, crevices that we can't get to. And so being able to fly, that adding that aerial dimension is what's really important. The robots. There you go. We're sending self-flying drones to Mars. What could go wrong? Really, the mission is ultimately to try to find microbes, at least some evidence of past microbes. The thing is so cool. And the launch is planned to be live-streamed. So you uh, can find that on the tubes of you. If you go on there and you search for it, it'll come up. Maybe I can go put a link in the show notes, I guess. I suppose. Thank you for your support at patreon.com slash unfilter. The Discord and I were having a good conversation earlier today. I often like to pop in there just before the show kind of gets solidified. So if there's something they've come across that uh, really needs to be in the show, I try to leave a little bit of room for that. Sometimes, like today, we were really in sync. Um, it, was, it was a good chat. And you can take part two on filter.show slash discord. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode. You can find me at Chris Lass on the Twitter. I'll also give a plug for my podcast, Consulting Biz. I don't mention it a lot, but I am offering podcast consulting. If you're thinking about launching a podcast or you've launched a podcast and you want to take advantage of some of the lessons I've learned over the last 15 years, hit me up at chrislast.com slash consulting. All right. Well, that does bring me to the end of this week's episode. I don't have another Out of Cycle episode planned yet, but I'm keeping my ear out. You never know what might happen. So you best get subscribed on filter.show slash subscribe. we got links for the feed and your favorite catchers there. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next week. Man, just calm down. It's okay.